All right, Matthew chapter 6. We're going to start reading this morning in verse number 19. Matthew chapter 6, verse number 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Lord God, I just pray that you'll bless now as we look at your word. Uh, fill me with your spirit and help me today, Lord, to, uh, to preach the way you want, want me to preach. Uh, help me to say what I should and nothing more. Help me to be clear and accurate and practical. I just pray you bless the message and fill us all with your spirit to hear. Give us ears to hear today. Lord, we know this is your word. These are the words of our Savior in the Sermon on the Mount. And we would understand and know what he has to say. So speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I will say right off the top to, to this morning that this is a sermon for Christians. Jesus suggests several wonderful questions here to ask as we review the past year. And I, I, I titled this sermon today, a, An End of Year Review. And so he's given us several uh, wonderful questions to ask as we ponder that last year, 2018. And they're equally wonderful for us to think about as we consider the new year. Great questions for an end of year review. But as I said, they're questions for Christians. For those who are born again, those who have put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're not a Christian this morning, I'm going to ask you, first of all, please do listen to the entire sermon. Pay attention. But then I want to, uh, I want to make, make something uh, clear to you at the end that is what you really need to think about in your year-end review, because it's a little bit different. I'll mention that at the end, so hold tight until we get there. Christians, let's do a year-end review. Jesus here gives us several questions to ponder. In verses 19 through 21, I would sum up those verses in 19 through 21 with this question. What do I treasure? What do I treasure? And I would ask the question, what did I treasure in 2018? And what will I treasure in 2019? 
I suppose there's all kinds of things people treasure. Money, no doubt, tops the list. There's just no question that's the top. But there's other things. How about our property, our pleasure, recreation, family? An awful lot of people treasure family, and that's kind of the, uh, you know, that's the acceptable idol in Christianity today, to put family ahead of the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, cultural affirmation, the approval of our peers. We could go on and on. There's all kinds of things that people treasure. But Jesus makes it clear here that what we treasure is a barometer of our hearts, barometer of our souls. Our treasure tells on us. Billy Graham said one time, give me five minutes with a person's checkbook, and I will tell you where their heart is. What did you treasure in 2018? What will you treasure in 2019? You remember Squeaky Fromm, Lynette Squeaky Fromm, the person who uh, took a shot at President Ford in Sacramento. She was also a follower of Charles Manson. One time a reporter asked her why she was attracted to Charles Manson. And here's what she said. She was attracted to him because of his philosophy. His philosophy was, quote, get what you want whenever you want it. That is your God-inspired right. And that might have been Manson's philosophy. Sadly, it's the philosophy of many today, and and even more sadly, it's the philosophy of some who name the name of Christ today, but it is not in any way consistent with the teaching of Jesus Christ. You see, worldly treasure, whether we're talking about money or anything else, has a problem, and that is that it is temporary. It can be destroyed It is subject to decay. It can be taken from you in an instant. Isn't that what Jesus was saying here in verses 19 and 20? It's temporary. There was a French multi-millionaire at one time by the name of Foscue. Foscue didn't believe in banks. In order to protect all of his treasure securely, he went down into the cellar of his mansion, down into his wine cellar, and he dug a huge hole in the floor of his wine cellar, and he dug a pit so deep that he had to have a ladder to get down in there. It was the only way down in there. And he took all of his wealth, all of his treasure, everything he owned, and he took it and stored it down in there. The doorway in the floor above that had a spring on it, a spring lock on it. One day, Mr. Foscue disappeared. Nobody could find him. Long period of time went. Finally, they declared him dead, and they sold his house. And the new person who was remodeling his house was down in the wine cellar looking around, and he found this door. And he opened the door. And there at the foot of the ladder lay the body of Mr. Foscue. He had a candle beside of him. All of his treasure and everything he owned surrounding him in that hole. And he had starved to death because the door had slammed up behind him and slammed shut behind him and locked him in. He had eaten the candle, gnawed the flesh off of his own arms, and there he sat surrounded by the treasure which he had accumulated. Worldly treasure is temporary. It can be taken from you in a minute. Heavenly treasure is eternal. It can never be destroyed. It never grows old. It never decays. And nobody can take it from you. That's what Jesus said in verse number 20. Paul wrote, We do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Now, I want to be clear I'm talking a lot about money this morning, and I want to make sure that I don't give anybody the wrong impression. There is nothing wrong with wealth. The Bible never, ever condemns wealth. God blesses some people with worldly wealth, and that's not a bad thing. Abraham 
was filthy rich, as was Lot and Job and Joseph and David and Solomon and Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea and probably the Apostle Paul and others. They were very wealthy. The book of Proverbs is filled with advice on financial management and wisdom and especially on things like saving your money and, and just, just being prudent. And Paul gave some very clear instructions on how a wealthy Christian should view and use their wealth as a tool for God's glory. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, he said, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may hold, lay hold on eternal life. So if you want a summary of that verse... It would be something like this. Enjoy the wealth God has given you. Use it for good works, generously sharing it with others, and then you'll be investing in heavenly treasures as well. But nowhere does the Bible ever condemn wealth. Jesus was not doing that here. He was condemning a heart that treasures wealth above all other things, above heavenly things. Wealth becomes wrong when it becomes our treasure Paul put it like this, he said, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. That passage is often misquoted. That passage is often misinterpreted to say that money is the root of all evil. But that is not what the Bible says. It is the love of money. It is the making of money our treasure. That is when it becomes a problem. One man said money has power, but it also has weaknesses. For instance, money can buy land, but not love. Bonds, but not brotherhood. Gold, but not gladness. Silver, but not sincerity. Hospitals, but not health. Condominiums, but not character. Houses, but not homes. Timber, but not truth. Money can purchase commodities, but not comfort. Ranches, but not righteousness. Ships, but not salvation. And hotels, but not heaven. To save your money, you must share it. To love it is to lose it. And to invest it forever, you must put it in things eternal. Our treasure should only and ever be in Christ. That thing that we Focus on that thing that is most important to us should only and ever be Christ. And so the question that we need to ask ourselves, questions that we need to ask ourselves is, what did I treasure in 2018? And what will I treasure in 2019? For as Jesus said in verse 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He asked another question, another question in verses 22 through 23. And I would say that question is this, what do I look at? What do I look at? The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, if I'm to treat this passage fairly and accurately, I have to admit, I have to make sure I point out that all of it, from verse 19 all the way down to verse 34, everything that we read today is about money. That's what Jesus' topic is throughout that whole thing. In verses 19 through 34, he's dealing with money, 
We've already seen that he taught our treasure indicates our heart. In verse 24, we see him plainly stating you cannot serve God and money equally, for we're really only able to serve one or the other. In verses 25 through 34, he deals with the fact that so many of us worry about things, and usually those worries have to do with money, where it's going to come from, how we're going to meet our needs, how we're going to pay our bills. And then finally in verse 33, he sums it all up with this one overarching statement that reminds us that we put God first in everything. God will take care of all those things that we think only money can buy. So the whole passage is really about money. And I would encourage you to read it that way and pray over its implications, but I want to apply it differently. This, verses 22 and 23, what do I look at is primarily about money. When we are looking only at money and what it will buy. When we are stingy with our money, then our spiritual life will be wanting. That's the primary meaning of that passage. We have to interpret it that way if we take it in context. But I think that it has a a, a broader application. Jesus also used that same illustration. He said the same thing in Luke, but it was in a section unrelated to money. In Luke, he said almost word for word, he said, the lamp of the, the body is the eye. Therefore, when your eye is good, your whole body also is full of light. But when your eye is bad, your body is also full of darkness. Therefore, take heed that the light which is in you is not darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no dark part, the whole body will be full of light, as when the bright shining of a lamp gives you light. That had nothing to do with money there. If you look at that passage, that's in Luke chapter 11, completely unrelated. And so the application is broader. It goes beyond our attitude toward wealth and and, and possessions. So the question is, what do I look at? What did I look at in 2018? What will I look at in 2019? What are you looking at? What do you look at? As I ponder this past year, I have to confess some things. I have to confess that I have spent far too much time looking at screens and far too little time looking at my Bible. I want to reverse that in 2019. We need to guard what we look at. There are obvious things, I suppose, that we need to guard against. Pornography would be one. We know that that's something we need to be on guard against, but there are less obvious dangers. Sometimes it's not as much what we look at as how long we look at it, how long, much time we spend. Uh, I think I mentioned once before when the new version of iOS came out a while back on my iPhone, it had a new feature called screen time. Anybody looked at that on your phone? I was horrified when I looked at that because it simply tells you how much time you spend on your phone. Very ugly. It also tells you how many times you pick it up during a day. I also like to watch TV. Anybody want to guess what shows I like to watch? There you go. I was hoping somebody would have picked up on that by now. But, you know, if I were to do the math about how much time I spend on my phone, how much time I spend on my iPad, how much time I spend looking at my computer, how much time I spend watching Star Trek on TV, and then compare it to how much time I spend in my Bible. How much time I spend, or how many times I pick up my Bible. I just have to hang my head. It's horrifying. So one of my goals for 2018, and again for 2019, is to increasingly get back in the book. I have been increasingly trying to just use a plain old leather and paper Bible. Because I'm finding that it keeps me more focused. I still preach from my iPad, and I still use electronic resources for Bible study and things like that. But last year, I returned to doing my personal devotions out of that, instead of looking at my iPad. And you might think there's nothing 
nothing wrong with using the iPad or using it, but I'll tell you what, when, I, when my eyes are on God's Word in that form, there's no emails that go beep and drag me away from the Word. There's no text messages. There's no Facebook messenger. There's no Fitbit reminders for me to get up and walk around my house. There's none of that stuff. It's just me and the Word, and that's what we need. Wouldn't it be interesting to develop a Bible time app? An app that told you how many hours a day you spend in the Word. How many times a day you pick up the Bible. Wouldn't that be interesting to compare? I think we'd all be horrified. Consider Jesus' words again. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? What we look at, what we allow into our minds, through our eyes, affects our whole being. What did you look at in 2018? And what will you look at in 2019? He goes on, verse number 24, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. I think the question there that we need to ask ourselves is, what do I serve? What do I serve? We opened Christmas presents with my side of the family on Christmas Eve. My grandson Jericho and my granddaughter Josephine received some pretty nice gifts. They also received these cheesy little candy dispensers. They looked like glorified Pez dispensers. And on top of them, they had a little hand that they could push a button, and the little fingers would go like that. That was it. Do you know those kids spent the entire day running around? That's all they wanted to play with. Mountains of toys, mountains of really nice stuff. That's all they wanted to play with was those stupid little Candy dispensers. And I was reminded of how many times when when my kids were little, they would prefer to play with the box rather than with the gift. Listen to what James Montgomery Boyce wrote. He said, can anything be more insulting to God? Who has redeemed us from the slavery of sin, put us in Christ, given us all things richly to enjoy, than to take the name of our God upon us, to be called by his name, and then to demonstrate by every action and every decision of life that we actually serve money. Make no mistake, Jesus taught here that you can serve God or you can serve money, but you cannot serve both. Mutually exclusive. Martin Lloyd-Jones, I always struggle to say that. He told a story one time of a farmer. I may have told this story before, I don't remember. But the farmer had, to, uh, had a cow that gave birth to two calves, twin calves. And he came into his wife all excited, and he said, I'm so happy about these twin calves. Here's what we're going to do. I feel led of the Lord. I'm going I'm to raise one of those calves for us, and I'm going to raise another calf for the Lord. And then when they come of age, we'll, we'll have them sold, and then we'll give the Lord's money to the Lord's work. His wife asked him, okay, which calf is going to be the Lord's? He said, oh, we don't have to worry about that right now. We'll, we'll just raise them both the same, and when the time comes, we'll sell them, and we'll give uh, the money from the one to, to the Lord. Several months later, the guy walks in, and he's all downtrodden. He's all thumbsucky, and his wife says, what's the matter? And he says, oh, I have some bad news. The Lord's calf died. <laughs> and she said, well, wait a minute. I thought you didn't choose yet which was going to be the Lord's calf. And he said, well, yes, I did. All along, I thought it would be the white calf, which would be the Lord's calf. And it's the white calf that died. And Martin Lloyd-Jones goes on to say, it is always the Lord's calf that dies, unless we are absolutely clear 
about our service to him and about the true nature of our possessions. Who owns our possessions? The Lord Jesus Christ tells us here that either God owns them and you serve him, or else your possessions own you and you serve them. So you can serve God, you can serve money, but you can't serve both. But let's take it further. For as I mentioned, I think everything in here, even though the primary application, the primary interpretation is money, I think it goes beyond that. I think we need to ask a general question. What do I serve? Where does my time go? Where does my effort go? What do I try to learn more about and improve in my performance of? What do I practice to get better at? What do I exercise to become more proficient at? What do I serve? Many of us, myself included, are thinking about goals for the new year, thinking about resolutions for the new year. How many of those resolutions have to do with what we serve? And and how many of those resolutions have to do with doing more service for God in 2019? Jesus was never one to beat around the bush. He was not a gray area kind of guy. He was black and white, and this is about as black and white a statement as you can ever find in the Bible. There is no wiggle room here. There can only be one. You cannot serve God and, and mammon. You have one master. A master is the single individual or entity that demands your allegiance and your service. It can't be God and anything else. Another question, and I won't read this passage because it's long, but verses 25 through 34, he asked the question, what do I worry about? What do I worry about? Now, we've, we've asked several questions so far, but I think Jesus here explains in this section one of the reasons why we struggle with all these other things. I mean, why would a Christian... A believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, one who knows himself or herself to be a child of the king, lay up treasures on earth rather than in heaven. Why would we do that? We are children of the king. We are joint heirs with Christ. Somebody posted one time a a little picture of a little girl, and on, on this picture it said, On the darkest days when I feel inadequate, unloved, and unworthy, I remember whose daughter I am, and I straighten my crown. And I thought, glory, what a reminder. That's who we are. Why would we think the way we do sometimes? And Lay up treasure here on earth. Why would a believer look at anything that brings darkness rather than light? Why would a Christian waste their service on money and possessions or anything else than the Lord Jesus Christ? And I think Jesus answers that question, or at least gives us an answer to that question, in this long section. He said it's often because we worry, and we shouldn't. We worry about our lives. We worry where our next meal will come from where our clothing and shelter and daily needs will come from. We, we worry that we will be wanting. We worry that provision won't be there. We worry that we won't have enough when we need it. might be other reasons, but certainly worry is a primary one. And Jesus reminds us here, I think, how ludicrous it is for a Christian to worry. We have a God who created all that is and ever will be with a thought. And we wonder whether or not he can meet our needs. We have a God who owns everything that is, the cattle on a thousand hills, all the gold. We have a God who feeds the birds of the air and clothes the flowers of the field. There is nothing too hard for our God. Say that with me. There is nothing too hard for our God. And so how ridiculous it is for us to worry. Did you worry in 2018? What did you worry about? I find that most of the things I worried about in 2018, and I confess that I struggle with that like everybody else, most of those things that I worried about in 2018 didn't happen anyway. 
And the ones that did, God took care of. What will you worry about in 2019? Well, finally, notice verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Here's the last and perhaps overarching question we need to ask in our year-end review. What is first in my life? What do I treasure, we've asked? What do I look at? What do I serve? What do I worry about? But here now is a verse that sums it all up. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. You ought to have that verse underlined in your Bible, highlighted in your Bible, and you ought to circle that little word, first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and your treasure will take care of itself. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and your eyes will be right where they ought to be. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and you will be serving the right master. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and you will have nothing at all ever to worry about. For all the things you worried about and do worry about will be taken care of by our good and gracious God. We have a God here who promises us that if we will so order our lives that he is first, always first, ever first, above all these other things that we've talked about, then he will ensure that we never lack and that we have everything that we need. There was a tremendous famine in the days of Elijah. You might have read about it in the Old Testament. God provided for Elijah in a couple of different ways throughout that famine. And one of the ways he provided for him was he sent him to visit a widow in the town of Zarephath. When Elijah reached the home of the widow, he asked her for a drink and for some bread. So she said, as the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin, and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first, and bring it to me. And afterward, make some for yourself and for your son. What an arrogant statement for him to make, don't you think? I know that you're starving to death. I know that you have no bread in the house. You just have enough oil and just enough flour to make a little cake that the two of you can nibble at, and then you're going to drop dead. I know that. I understand that. But first, make me one. Arrogant. Or is it? I don't think it was arrogant at all. I think it was an illustration of what Jesus taught here in our text. Put God first, and he takes care of everything else. And if you read the rest of the story in 1 Kings 17, you find out that woman never lacked for anything. That God fed her and her son from then on, miraculously providing for them from that time forward. Hezekiah was one of the great and good kings of Judah. In Second Chronicles 31:21, we read this about him. In every work that he began in the service of the house of God, in the law and in the commandment to seek his God, he did it with all his heart, so he prospered. He put God first, so he prospered. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Put God first, and he will take care of everything else. Jesus said, Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life in Matthew 19. The psalmist said, O fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. I have been young, and now I'm old, 
Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging bread. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. And the Apostle Paul said, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? What was first in your life in 2018? And what will be first in 2019? As Christians, we need to reflect on these things, don't we? As we reflect on the past year and as we consider our goals for the new year, I think we need to start with those five questions. What do I and will I treasure? What do I and will I look at? What do I and will I serve? What do I and will I worry about? And most of all, what do I and will I give first place in my life? Imagine for a moment what our homes would look like in 2019 if we lived in verse 33. I mean, really lived in. Imagine for a moment what Randolph and the surrounding area would look like if this little church really lived in verse 33 throughout 2019. Imagine for a moment what would happen to our world if the multiplied millions who actually named the name of Christ lived in that verse and made him first in their life. Imagine. I'll tell you what would happen. Revival. That's what would happen. Matter of fact, I think the rapture would happen because I think so many people get saved, Lord, come back if we just would put God first. So let's live in that verse. Let's resolve. Let's determine that in 2019, we're going to make God first. Now, I promised at the beginning that I would uh, say something to those of you who are not yet Christians. And so let me talk to you just for a moment. Let me mention something because... You see, there is another question, and it's a question that is the only one that matters to you. If you still haven't trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, this is the only one that matters. If your Bible's still open, you could flip over a couple pages to chapter 16 of of Matthew, and you'd see this. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ. Son of the living God. You see, you were not born saved. You were born lost. All of us are born sinners. And that's a word that simply means we are not righteous and good enough to meet God's standards. And and before you finish the thought that is bubbling up in your mind right now, I know the thought that is bubbling up in your mind is saying something like this, Preacher, I'm just as good as the next guy. Every bit, maybe even better than the next guy. You need to realize that God's standard is perfection, and he doesn't measure you against the next guy. He measures you only and ever against himself. Jesus described the standard when he said, Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect, Matthew 5, 48. So if you're not perfect, you're lost. It's as simple as that. Jesus was perfect, is perfect. And Jesus came to pay for your every imperfection to be your substitute. If you are saved, if you are born again, if you are a Christian and a believer, then Jesus now stands between you and God. And when God looks your way, he sees only the perfection of Jesus behind which you stand. Who do you say that Jesus is? That's the most important question. That's the only question that you need to be considering. God gave you another year. 
2018. He allowed you to live through the whole thing. And there's only one reason why he did that, so that you might know him, so that you might come to trust Christ as your Savior and become part of the family of God. The Son of the living God. The Lord is long-suffering towards you, the Bible says, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So he gave you 2018. He's patient, waiting for you to trust Christ, brought you through that year. There is no guarantee about 2019, so I ask you, would you consider that question? Who do you say that Jesus is? And if you have never answered it before, will you fall on your knees before him today? Will you confess that you're a sinner in need of a Savior? And would you say, as Peter said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God? Because until you answer that question, can never answer any of the others. Well, let's pray. Father, I'm thankful for the word. I'm thankful for these thoughts. I'm thankful, Lord, for this end-of-year review, and I pray it's helpful to all of us, Lord. I know it has spoken to my heart. It's spoken to my heart as I studied it, as I thought through it. And, Lord, as I think through all of these questions, I pray we would all consider them. What do I treasure? What do I look at? What do I serve? What do I worry about? And mostly, Lord, what do I put first in my life? Lord, all of us this day ought to bow before you and say, Lord, I want to make sure that as I start this new year, I start it out by, making, by, by in every way I possibly can putting you first. Help us to do that. Some might need to come and pray about those very things as we sing. And, Lord, I pray for those here today who, who don't know you as Savior. And I know there's got to be some in a crowd of this size. I pray that if there's anyone who has never yet trusted Christ, they've never yet dealt with that question, who do you say that the Son of Man is? I pray this day they would be able to say honestly and truthfully, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, because they trust in you. They believe in you, and they've asked you to save their soul. Some might need to come, kneel at this altar, let someone pray with them and explain the gospel to them. They might understand it clearly. But Lord, whatever the decisions are that need to be made this day, Help us to make them. Help us to end 2018 on a high note and start 2019 determined that you're going to be first in our lives in every way. And we'll thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name.